Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn. I want to remind people, there is no award for coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares. And Dan Weeder. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast, episode 22 after the Bears, 33-14. to 14. Yes, 33-14 to 14 victory over the New England Patriots. I'm David Haw from 670 The Score, the Mullen Haw Show. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune was in Foxborough. He saw it happen. We are here at the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Download, listen, subscribe. We're talking about the biggest Bears win in years, Dan. What was it like to be there? Yeah, stunning is the word I keep coming back to, David. Just stunning because nobody saw this coming. I think most people picked the Patriots. Most people picked the Patriots by a significant margin. And the idea of a Bears upset was one thing. The idea of the Bears going in there and dominating a football game and winning by 19 points, controlling the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And essentially, David, the thing that was the most notable to me in the last 90 minutes of that game was how quiet Gillette Stadium was. We talked last week about the previous blowout there where the Patriots scored 21 points in a minute and and, and hung 50-plus on the Bears and blew them out of the, the building. And I just remember revolutionary cannons going off that entire afternoon, right? And, and songs and, and the stands being just this raucous uh, melody of singing and celebration. And it was just a, a funeral home. David, late Monday night at Gillette and, and seeing that crowd, Roquan Smith with a colorful quote to me after the game when I asked him what it was like to hear that quiet. He said he was kind of looking around when they started getting all those interceptions for, for some noise. And he said you could hear a rat piss. It was that quiet. <laughs> That's a great quote. And I can only imagine because back here in Chicago, I think the day after, People were braced for another sort of uh, quiet acceptance of a defeat everyone saw coming. Uh, and what happened as a, in contrast was people don't know what to do with this. People can't remember the last time they got that much pleasure out of watching the Bears on national television. I asked that question on Twitter and the responses continue to come in. And I think that it goes from it ranges from, you know, 2018 against the Rams to way back to 19 January 20th, uh, 1986 for a lot of people, 33 to 14 felt like 46 to 10, yeah. uh, a lot lesser, uh, smaller stage, lesser significance, but you get the point. It's been a very long time before the Bears, since the Bears have done what they did on Monday night in Foxborough. You don't always expect a first year coach to get the better of the best head coach ever. Uh, yet the fluce, Outcoach the goat, and Matt Eberflus has has now uh, something very different on his hands, maybe. And Bears fans are really enjoying every minute of it. Yeah, and we'll get into a little bit more of that in a bit on how how different these teams seemed for one night, right? One Monday night in October, and the 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 way things seem to be headed for the New England Patriots, and and obviously the Bears are hoping this is the start of something. I think we have a lot to talk about in terms of how they can actually make it the start of something. On a personal note, as you and Studs know, I took my son out to Boston to see the game. This was his third 
Bears game, first on the road. The previous two that he had seen were the infamous Chargers loss in 2019 when Eddie Pinero missed a field goal at the gun after Mitch Trubisky committed two fourth-quarter turnovers. And as you remember being in that press conference, Matt Nagy being defiant on why he didn't try to gain more yards and, and set that up for a better field goal. So that was his first taste of Bears football live. Then last year he went again, and uh, the Ravens, pulled off a late comeback against the Bears in a game where Justin Fields got hurt early and Andy Dalton's late heroic touchdown pass to Marquise Goodwin ultimately went for naught when Kendall Vildor got beat. So a win for young Ryan Weeder on the road in Foxborough, a really nice moment for the Weederer family. Obviously, they uh, before the game, I was going up to see him and my brother up in the seats there. I said, where are you guys sitting? Section 312, David. So I thought that was a good omen before the game. <laughs> well, well played. That's a really that's that's nice little uh, football god smiling a little bit. Yeah. 312. Also, I saw a nice video you took of Ryan kicking a field goal in the Patriots uh what was that? The Hall of Fame? The Hall of Fame. Really cool uh, interactive exhibits in there. Really, I mean, look, like uh, I'll talk about that for 45 seconds because when and if the Bears build this multiplex in Arlington Heights, if they don't put in something like this to celebrate their history and just become a daily cash cow and charge people, you know, 10 to $15 to come in and see their history, they're crazy because that, that Patriots Museum, obviously they've got more Lombardi trophies than the Bears, but the Bears got a rich history from before the Super Bowl started and all those NFL all champions chips that preceded it there's plenty of opportunity to really create a really cool experience uh and the patriots did it right in there and, and as you mentioned yeah ryan k well maybe i'll tweet that that uh, we can put that on the take the north uh twitter page so you can see ryan's kick uh in the snow to win the afc championship game like vinatieri had way back in the day wearing a number one justin fields jersey he's going <laughs> to have to get a number two cairo santos jersey. no doubt that trip just got a little bit more expensive. Um, that's great because it was one of those nights I know he'll never forget, and a lot of Bears fans feel the same way after watching what happened on the field. So let's uh, move on and get to the details in our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the opening drive. Okay, so we alluded to it a little bit, Dan. I, I think that this has the makings as much as you want to, uh, you know, keep an even keel here. And we're going to, but it does have the makings to be a, one of those kind of victories that causes you to rethink this entire season. And that's one end of it. I think you, it, it was so convincing and so thorough and so, uh, I, I think, just overwhelming in terms of the way yeah. they controlled the line of scrimmage. It makes you wonder not necessarily where this has been, because I think we understand what went on to get to this point, but where this could be headed. Well, that's it, right? And and so th th that I think is is fascinating in a week like this, because now you have to turn the page quickly, right? And you have to go on the road again in a couple of days to go play the Dallas Cowboys in their building with a defense that can take you apart. And I picked the commanders two weeks ago to beat the bears because I was worried about how a young team would handle preparation in a short week. This is a little bit longer than that, but it's still a short week. That's going to be very demanding on how quickly you can reset and refocus and get yourself absorbed into a new game plan, right? That is going to require you to be very sharp and efficient and crisp to be able to, to, to keep Dan Quinn and Micah Parsons and the rest of that, that Cowboys defense at bay. And so this is going to be fascinating to see what they can do with this. Listen, you know what locker rooms are like after, wins like Monday nights, right? There's a, a, a level of satisfaction, a level of understandable jubilance. But in the Bears locker room on Monday night, there was also an understanding that, look, we know who we are right now and we're not going to get out over our skis and start attaching bigger picture significance to this than there was. Cole Komet was asked, hey, is this a turning point? And he said, look, <laughs> slow down, right? Like pump the brakes. Let's not get out in front of ourselves and start calling every little bit of success we have a turning point. But it certainly had the feeling of an effort that can be represented Replicated, and if it can be replicated and become consistent, now all of a sudden you're climbing the stairs to becoming relevant again. And that's where I think this week now has to be a stair climb, right? You can't be generating this momentum, David, and then all of a sudden stumbling back four steps where a week from now we're talking about them getting drubbed in Dallas and all of this being left behind so quickly. Good point. It's, it's it definitely you need some perspective, just like if things were were bad and they got trounced, you'd have the same sort of cautionary 
words. So you, you, I appreciated what you had to write on chicagotribune.com. <laughs> um, I wrote my column on 670thescore.com. I think everyone's going to have their takeaways. This, I guess, generally speaking, is, is the way that uh, I, I look at what happened on Monday night in Foxborough is that did not expect the Bears to look like a team on the rise. And then it was unmistakable that this looked like a team that may not have all the talent yet. They certainly don't have all the holds filled yet. We've been talking about what they have in, in terms of offseason cap space and draft capital. And there are some people still out there maybe want them to tank to get a better <laughs> draft pick. But I do think what I took away from them being able to beat the Patriots as, as soundly as they did and to do it in the fashion that they did. This looks like a team that understands and embraces coaching. And I love how Matt Eberflus explained it. And I, from being a, a Midwestern guy, a son of the Mac, and listen, he's speaking my language. <laughs> and and, I, and I'm, I'm just, you know, as transparent as I can be. He talked about practice. And he talked about individual sessions being longer. And he talked about the relationship between the position coach and the player and how that is the core of every good football team. And I'm telling you what, Dan, this stuff is corny. It is old fashioned, but you know what I felt like last night proved it's also working. Yeah. It, but, but so it, it's being able to, to, to put this in a strainer, right. And sift out the corn and see what comes into the bowl beneath it. Right. And I think there's some real substance to some of this stuff. And, and I wrote down in my notes, I'm glad you brought it up. Day after game for me, like uh, I can show you here, there, there are so many notes written in so many different pockets of my piece of paper because there's so many things to talk about. And one of the things I wrote down was Matt's sort of emphasis on this position coach player relationship as a foundation of things that he's trying to build inside House Hall. And that's all about how do we get guys to focus every single day of the week on the, on the fundamentals and techniques that we're teaching them so that when moments come in a game, they can execute those, right? And, and, and corny or not corny, that is a, a formula for succeeding at a high level in this league. Now, you need talent. You need guys who, who, who do this on an everyday basis to get to the highest levels here. But I think part of leadership, David, is providing direction. And I think the one thing that I've been thoroughly impressed with Matt Eberflus since he got here is the fact that he is so very specific and clear with the direction he gives his players and his coaches. And, and you see results in, in moments like Monday and you say, OK, you know, use this as fuel to get you where you ultimately want to go. That's the word to leadership. The Bears yeah. needed his kind of leadership. And the one thing about being a good leader is you have to be consistent. You have to be structured. You have to be uh, organized. And you have to be who you are. And that's the one thing I really appreciate about what Matt Eberflus has been so far through seven games or through eight months or what, however long it's been. This is a guy who is true to himself and whoever he is at 52 years old, the first time NFL head coach. And Dan, that's why uh, there were a lot of plays that stood out and there's some great stuff that we'll <laughs> yeah. talk about the sidearm throw, this and that. I have to say the one play that I found myself smiling, I caught myself smiling at was fourth and two, 25 seconds left. The bears took a knee. <laughs> the bears took a knee because they didn't need to prove anything. They didn't need to show off. And he was asked about that on Monday after the game, Matt Eberflus, why didn't you try to score down there? A lot of coaches might've Dan. We all have seen examples where guys would have, and he just said his respect for the game. And he shrugged. Well, and that's, I, I love that about the way this bears season, the way this Bears coaching staff is structured, they're just doing their jobs and they have a respect for every step along the way. I'll push back on you a little bit on that one because they did try to score on first, second, and third down on that same series inside inside the 10-yard line and Treston Ebner just couldn't take any of his three chances across the goal line. As that was unfolding, you know, I, I, we had made our way down at the two-minute warning into the tunnel uh, to watch the rest of it up on the on the, the screen, given where that game was at. And and I think there was a, a general sense that, wow, wouldn't it be really cool if the Bears could tech 40 on Belichick in okay, Gillette, Peyton, Gillette Lab Stadium? Okay, no, I Peyton. mean, like, yeah. look like the, it would have been – look like you and I don't talk about 30-point outings ever, right? Like right, the last right. time the Bears scored 30 was in December of 2020 against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that's how long it goes. I was walking out of the uh, – 
stadium in, in, in New Jersey after the Bears lost to the Giants, right? They, they didn't score a touchdown the whole day. It was I, what, what was the final of that? 20 to 12, 23 to 12, somewhere in there, right? And Mark Potash and I were talking about, wouldn't it be cool one week to go into a locker room and have to ask a team about like the third or the fourth touchdown that they had in the game? <laughs> <laughs> right, like these basic yeah. things. And last night, one of those, you said it at the start of this segment, that, that there were just, there were moments, you, you've got a, a, a list on your, your play sheet of we could talk about this for three minutes. We could talk about this for... There, there were so many moments that where the Bears' offense, defense, and special teams made big plays where you go, wow, that's what winning football looks like, where you can't even choose which one you want to get to because there's too many on the menu, right? And so you've got to just kind of be selective and, and, and highlight a handful. I do think that you're right. They tried to score in first, second, and third down. But that was kind of <laughs> in the context of the game. Sure. And, the, the, and I understand that. So anyway, but, but I thought that was a good moment. All right, so the game itself, I think what the Bears – reminded us of were a couple of things. Number one, they can run the football on anybody. Not that the Patriots are going to be one of the top defenses in the league, but they are better than what they have seen. And they still got 243 yards rushing. Secondly, they're improving the way they stopped the run, Dan. 26 points in the last two games for that defense. And Justin Jones had a big night in this, this uh, run defense that I thought would struggle against the Patriots running game did not. The third thing, the big thing, I think, was the Bears are unbelievably more stable at the quarterback position than the Patriots were. And the Patriots started the wrong guy. Bill Belichick made the wrong call. And that doesn't happen often, but when it does, you have to take advantage, and it they did. And the last thing, I think, was the Bears were dominant in all phases, and that includes the special teams. There wasn't that mistake that cost them. Uh, in a big way, Dante Pettis provided some security, and Cairo Santos. My yeah. goodness, he's automatic. So we may, we may, I'll, I'll, I'll save some of my thoughts on Cairo for for a little bit later in the podcast because I think there's a, a spot to to honor him here. But you're right, the Bears were uh, efficient in all three phases, and and as impressive as anything, David was when Bailey Zappi comes in and gives them that 14 to 10 lead, right? And you get that spark, and you get that surge within three minutes where you have. You know the the, the the stadium's alive, and 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 your upstart quarterback is doing the things that the, the the crowd was chanting for him to do, and then all of a sudden the Bears responded, right? That response drive that they had after they went down fourteen to ten, and and went on a seventy-five yard march and put the ball in the end zone and took the lead back, as it turned out, took the lead back for the rest of the night was an enormous show of, of, of resilience from a team that I think everyone kind of felt like when, when, when the Patriots scored that second touchdown, it was like, uh Oh, here we go again. Right. This is one of those classic bears primetime games where this thing just unravels on them. It's embarrassing. You've got two high profile broadcasters to tell the, the entire nation how embarrassing this is. And, and, and on my rewatch on, on, on Tuesday morning, David, I was just stunned because how often do we get a Troy Aikman, Joe Buck game where, where Troy Aikman is just gushing, about what he's seeing from the Chicago Bears. And it was just notable. You're sitting there and you're going, man, he's right. He's right. There's some really, really solid play here. And, and it's worth highlighting. And it's, it, it's, I think for the Bears' sake, it's a confidence builder. And it's really cool that it came on that stage because it, it, it lets the rest of the world know that there's something, uh, there's something here. And now they've just got to unearth it more consistently. To that end, before we get to game balls, I would add this. Troy Aikman has suffered through a lot of bad Bears football. And we have heard the disgust in his voice, haven't we? We have heard the disappointment that he has uh, described the Bears and what this Matt Nagy's doing or even going further back than that. And this is what he said last night during the game about the victory. Quote, this is the type of game that can really change the trajectory of an organization. Now, is that... Is that exaggeration? Is that anything more than uh, an opportunity? No. I mean, we're not saying that they have done anything yet. But to have somebody who isn't prone to hyperbole, somebody who doesn't exaggerate, put it in that context – I think it underscores exactly what we were watching. Well, and he said can. He didn't say will, right? And so now it's up to the Bears to turn can into will, and let's see what they can do with that. Uh, I I did want to pick your brain on this before we get to game balls. The Belichick conundrum here uh, fascinates me because I think Bill Belichick has kind of caught himself in a lie here in in, in terms of what his plans were for Monday night, what his plans are going forward. And because he's always so weird and evasive and strategically weird and evasive, I think he's almost 
basically fashioned himself a trap that he himself stepped in. And now he's got to figure out how to rewin his locker room back when you're telling people, oh, yeah, we were going to take Mac out at some point anyway. Uh, and then you tell Lisa Salters at halftime that Mac's going to play in the second half and then he doesn't play in the second half. And now you've got a full-blown quarterback controversy in your hands. You have a last-place football team in the AFC East, which I don't know the last time that the, the Patriots this deep into a season were were looking up at three other teams in their division the way they are now. And so you, you just got you've just got a, a crisis, right? I mean, you do have a crisis in in, in New England, and I just don't know uh, if it wasn't a crisis that they kind of made for themselves because the head coach was trying to get too cute and too weird. Bill Belichick on Monday night in that explanation joined. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers as three NFL legends who have never looked older or sounded older. This guy stepped in it. He said he told somebody, then he didn't tell somebody. The whole (laughs) locker room was divided on who knew what, when, and who was going to play. He did tell uh, Lisa Salters, apparently. Now, you're not ever – you're not under oath when you're talking to sideline reporters, but you like to have some credibility. He doesn't need it, but come on, you're right. So he has created – the mess that he has to go back to practice and face whenever they resume. That is uh, the Patriots problem. I just never thought we would get to the point where we're talking about a bears Patriots game and the bears walk out of Gillette stadium, head home to Chicago. And they of the two teams have the more stable quarterback situation. I I mean, it's incredible and and we'll see where they go with it. But again, just, again, I use the word stunning at the outset of this podcast because you walked out of that building last night and you're like, what did I see? Like there was no way that when I parked the car here in this lot before the game that I expected to walk out of there with a 19 point Bears victory and, and and the way that they did it, right? Score the final 23 points of the game and absolutely manhandle the Patriots for the entire second half. They had no answers. And, and so now the Bears have something that they can build on. All right. Time to give out our game balls. Let's bring in ace producer Adam Studzinski, who reminds us that the Bears are actually the number one rushing team in the NFL after seven games. Boy, that's quite a stat, Studs. I don't know if that's where you're going with your game ball, but you could pick a lot of plays. Not going to try to tell you what to do, but that is quite a statistic. Number one overall, have they – this is – I'm thinking out loud here. Have the Bears ever led the league in rushing? Had been a while, hasn't it? It seems like right. a homework assignment for, for, for me, unless you've already done it, Studs. I'll, I'll check it out after after we do game balls here. I'll see the last time they led the league in rushing. It's probably been a while. But, yeah, they, I, I had that pointed out to me last night. They're after the 243-yard performance. They have the most total rushing yards in the league after seven games. So I thought that was pretty impressive. But for game balls, uh, it, it, it is kind of in the rushing direction, but – I, I got to go with Justin Fields after this one. And, you know, da- uh, David, excuse me, on your 670thescore.com column, you said it was probably the best game of his career. And I was thinking about that. And I think if we're looking at the complete game, this is the first time we've seen him play largely in control with the exception of, you know, a few plays here and there for an entire game. He was calm. He was collected. He was better in the pocket. Not perfect. He's far from a perfect game. But they ran the entire offense through him. Another stat that really stood out to me was Justin Fields had 261 yards accounted for between passing yards and rushing yards in the game. The Patriots had 260 net offensive yards. So Justin Fields outgained the Patriots by himself last night. <laughs> That's a great stat. <laughs> and so I, so that really blew me away. So I think, you know, game balls, like Justin Fields needed this game badly. I think people that believe Justin Fields is going to be the Bears franchise quarterback going forward wanted like needed to see this kind of game badly I'm one of them so yeah I'm giving my game balls to Justin Fields because I mean he's a huge reason that they won the game last night so before we move on to our choices just real quick Dan you talked about your experience we talked about you know just the living through it covering the game or whatever the case Studs was on the air at 3 a.m taking right immediately after. And I think this got very interesting because this is one of those games where the reaction was almost as newsworthy as the event because <laughs> of people hadn't felt like that in a very long time. Studs, quickly, how would you describe the state of Bears fans at 3 in the morning following <laughs> that? Well, you know, it's <laughs> you, funny. You're taking calls at 6, 7 to score and, yeah. and kind, of, kind of talking to people and giving them your take. So it's funny. I was obviously excited and, you know, running on adrenaline. I hadn't slept. And because I, I had 
in the middle of the Bears game, it's a funny story. Middle of the Bears game, I had to go play a fight football game and then come <laughs> back home and and watch the and and rewatch the second half basically. And then I went straight into the station. So anyway, the first call I got was a real Debbie Downer. The guy was like poo-pooing the game. I'm like, come on, guys. We're not here for that tonight. So no, I, I largely it was just kind of just embracing a huge win. And, and you know, I think, Dan, what was your words after the game? It was an ass whooping. And, you know, we, we haven't seen a Bears team do that and you know they beat the Jags two years ago and yeah. you know a butt whoop you know good for you yeah it's, it's usually the bottom so, of the barrel teams that they beat like yeah. that and, and this was not right and and so it, it takes you it takes you a minute so yeah it, it and really like you're still sitting here the next day and you're like they really just kind of beat the New England Patriots thoroughly and the Patriots aren't they're not necessarily a good team this year it, you, know, you guys you guys talked about it they have a quarterback controversy on their hands but I mean, out coaching and out playing a Bill Belichick coach team is nothing to to scoff at. So I think that a lot of people around the city are just kind of embracing it, the way that I put it was every win this this team gets this year, we need to embrace as fans and 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 take it in because we're not going to get a whole lot of them. And when no they just, and when they just thoroughly beat Bill Belichick's team, you need to take a minute and say, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I did. I did say to my colleague at the Tribune, Colleen Kane, I said, of course, that the Bears' disheartening, embarrassing loss of the Commanders came with 11-day break between games. And this one, there's four days before they got to jump back in action. We got about we got about 12 positive stories we could tell this week, and we only got three days to do it because of uh, because of the way this this quick turnaround goes. I had multiple candidates for my game ball. I'm going to start here, and then I'm going to turn it to you, David. And if I have to give a second game ball around on the back end, I will. But I'm giving mine to Quanny B, number nine, Jaquan Brisker, who I wrote about in my column. Uh, not only made his first career interception, but made his first. Career career interception three plays after taking a Mac Jones spike to the and and so he had to come out of the game for one play got back on the field and then not only made a great read on the ball that Mac Jones threw down the sideline to Johnu Smith but then went up right and 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 got it with one hand and said he felt like he was back in his uh basketball playing days where he was just going up for a rebound and grabbed it with one and then got the other one on it to, to secure it. Just a really good play from a really good player who's ascending and really cool to see him have that moment on that stage because I think everyone in that building right now at House Hall believes in where Jaquan Brisker is headed. I think that's a good one. I think you've got Justin Fields represented offensively. Jaquan Brisker represented in the secondary. The secondary as a group had a terrific game and the defense played well. And Brisker, as, uh, as Joe Buck said, he is a stud. He looks like a guy that's going to be here for a very long time. Okay, I'm going to go a little bit unorthodox then because uh, I'm going to get him a game ball because I don't want him to get overlooked. A guy who's been the source of a lot of criticism through six games and heading into seventh was Sam Mustafer. He got replaced and demoted. And it's not easy when a guy who has started 29 straight games gets replaced and demoted. And he's a proud guy. He's one of these guys that represents everything. He epitomizes yeah. the hits principle, doesn't he? I'm yes. going to identify somebody in that locker room. Okay, you go represent the hits principle to the uh, Lake County, you know, Kiwanis, <laughs> whatever the case. You would want Stan Mustafer representing your organization. And he got benched. And then two series in, he got called on. Lucas Patrick went down, toe injury. Don't know how bad it is. We'll find out. Sam Mustafer, I like that he was honest after the game to our guy Big Z in the 10 Thoughts, ChicagoTribune.com. He said, I'm pissed. He did not like being demoted. He explained his state of mind. And you know what? He went to work anyway. It's a great lesson. He still epitomizes everything you want in the hits principle. He still is the consummate pro. I'm not saying he's a finished product. I don't even know if he's an asset. But I do know that he was part of an offensive line that is now uh, part of the number one rushing offense in the NFL. And he had to be called back into action to do the job under some difficult circumstances. And he did it. So, Sam Mustafer, I give you a game ball. I like it, David, because, listen, the Bears had a couple bad drives in the early second quarter, and and I'm sure your feed was just like mine with people being like, oh, it's because Mustafer's in. Oh, Mustafer's a bum. And then by the end of the night when they had a season-high 33 points on the scoreboard, those people were quiet, didn't know where they went to. And so Sam Mustafer obviously wasn't uh, – 
preventing them from scoring 33 on a Monday night stage. I'm going to tack on a fourth game ball here because we've talked about this guy, but he deserves to get a, a little bit of a, a memento for his trophy case. Cairo Santos has not missed a field goal attempt all year. Uh, four for four last night. The only two kicks he's missed were a pushed extra point and a pulled extra point in that monsoon in week one against the 49ers. The dude is ultra reliable and automatic right now for the Bears. And you see it in the way that Luke Getze calls plays at times. They were a little bit conservative uh, a couple times on third down, but I actually in the press box said to, to people who were griping, like, this is what you do in this situation. When you've got third and long, just make this a little bit closer for Cairo. Take your three points Thank and, you. and move forward because you know it's automatic. And I guarantee you that if Luke Getze didn't have a kicker he believed in or that Matt Eberflus and Richard Hightower didn't believe in, they would have tried to be a little bit more aggressive, but there's certain moments in games you say, let's get the points and let's put our defense back out there and roll. And when a guy's this automatic, the value to a team is is, is absolutely uh, unbelievable. This is a public service announcement for all Bears fans out there and all analytics uh, lovers. I love analytics too, but you know what? The field goal is not a negative play. The field goal is not a negative play. And there were a couple times when you have a weapon. And yes, Cairo Santos is a weapon. That's a great call then you can set up things where you don't have to punt, where you don't have to gamble. Take the three because in close games, you're going to need the three. I think that's a great one. Yeah, right before the 50-yard field goal, there was a third and eight, and they ran it to Montgomery for five yards. And I was cool with it because it's like a 50 yards. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll take the three points from 50 yards, right, rather than taking a sack and having to punt and do those things. Those are, those are big moments for a team that's learning to win games, and Cairo delivered again. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Good stuff. Okay, we got a lot to get to in our uh, QB1 deep dive. All right, Dan, a lot to get to with Justin Fields. As Studs pointed out in 670score.com, I wrote about this. I talked about it this morning on the Mullion Haw Show. To me, this was Justin Fields' best game as a pro. There are a lot of reasons for that, but that's a good place to start. I don't know if you agree or not uh, with that assessment, but what was his, in your mind, overall uh, level of play and what was his defining moment? Listen, like the level of play was as good as it's been all year, right? And that's what you want for a young quarterback. There's mistakes all throughout this video, but these mistakes were 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 trumped by plays that were made. And that's what we're looking for. I think that's where, where people kind of missed the boat here through the first six weeks where they're like, what were you expecting? We all knew this was a young quarterback and a rebuilding team. What were you expecting? You were expecting it to look right. Right. And on Monday night, it looked right. The quarterback made some mistakes, but he also made a lot of things happen. For me, David, the defining moment is on the, the, the Bears' first touchdown drive. It's a, it's a third down play, uh, third and six from their own 48. And Fields shows where his pocket poise was for most of Monday night. He stayed in the pocket. He was patient. When it started to break down and Matthew Judon started to get some, some penetration on Larry Borum, he slid up, and then he slid to his right, and he started to roll. And instead of tucking and running, as you know, which is uh, at times a pet peeve of mine, he kept his eyes downfield, and he drilled one to Equinemius St. Brown for 19 yards. And it was just like, aha, that looked right. Right. And so all of a sudden you get a play that moves the chains that then creates a scoring opportunity and you capitalize on the scoring opportunity and you score the touchdown yourself and you get a, a, a night going like that. And David, by the night's end, the Bears were 11 for 18 on third down. 
That's 61%. Luke Getze has told us all year that his gold standard for third down uh, success rate is 48% because that's typically the number that leads the NFL at year's end. The Bears were 61.1%, 11 for 18 on Monday night, and it was because of plays like that. Ten of those conversions, five fields runs, five fields completions. So he did it in a number of ways. And that allowed them to possess the ball for 37 minutes. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is complimentary football. You can help your defense stop the run by staying on the field and running the ball down the opponent's throats and making plays on third down to keep the chains going. 11 for 18 is remarkable. Okay, look. I understand because I have been critical too. The tuck and run is not a, a, a way to make a living as an NFL quarterback. You don't, it's the equivalent of going paycheck to paycheck. You'd like not to have to live that way. Yeah. And yet I understand more after watching last night why it's so tempting to live that way. I think we all do. Here was the latest example for me defining moment, third and 14, final few minutes of the second quarter i believe it yep. was uh, it, it feels is is in the pocket breaks down dodges a guy looks around oh i can get that oh i can do that nobody can stop me and you know it's such a fine line dan because i mean i want to be the coach is like no 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 you know go through your progressions throw the ball out of bounds don't hold on the ball so long you're killing us here and yet Plays like this 20-yard gain illustrate why he holds on to the ball so long, why there is that balance he has to strike. It's so delicate. He thinks he can create something special if he just waits for the right opening. And you know what? He's often right. And so that's the conundrum. That's the tough balance. And I think that when you see him have the kind of success last night that he did, you're like, all right, this is something that you want to – believe is sustainable i don't know that it is but i do find it interesting number one that was that defined it as much as i uh, any play last night for me and secondly and we'll get on to this because this is, relates to this entire deep dive on the quarterback it's reflective of what the baltimore ravens do they make a living by living off of lamar jackson's instinct that- they allow him to make some of these judgments that can be unorthodox. He's not going to throw for 350 yards. It's not going to be a conventional approach. And we would find out after the game uh, that the Bears borrowed some of the ideas, concepts, and plays from the Baltimore Ravens, which is a credit to Luke Getze and Matt Aberflus. But when you see Justin Fields do his, you know, unintentional impersonation of Lamar Jackson, you understand what he's capable of doing and how hard it will be to hone that and make him into this polished pocket passer that everyone wants him to be. And I understand that, but I just don't know if it's as easy as it sounds. And that's not necessarily a bad thing either. No, you make a lot of good points there. And that 20-yard run pushed the Bears into scoring territory. They followed up three plays later with another third down conversion with with Fields making an off-script throw to Darnell Mooney with one of the best catches of the night over on that sideline for him to get his feet down. And you get that touchdown and then a field goal to end the half and then a field goal to start the second half. And all of a sudden, you just had your claws sunk in that game. And so that's what happens when you're able to turn third and 14 into something magical. All of a sudden, you see the ripple effects of that. It's a good choice. All right, how about on the bright side? On the bright side for me is really easy, and it's the way that, that, that Luke Getze used the mini bye week to figure out ways that he could have more designed runs in the playbook for Justin Fields in this particular game. We'll see how uh, consistent that is in game plans to come, but overall I had it down for 10 designed runs on the night for 56 yards. There was only one. Well, two tuck and runs on the night, the 20 yarder that you talked about. And then he also ran out of bounds for a sack on another one. And so you didn't have that high volume of tuck and runs, right? The off off script scrambles, but you had a variety of design runs. It wasn't just read option there. You had three zone reads. You had two quarterback draws. You had a quarterback sweep. You had two sneaks to convert third and ones. You had uh, a couple fake jet sweeps, including the touchdown run where you fake the jet sweep and then you keep it and you you use your athleticism and your strength to power across the goal line. The variety of, of designed runs was as impressive as the volume of designed runs. That's a big thing for this Bears offense to get itself moving in a positive direction on a consistent basis. Let me tell you, the, the, the uh, quarterback sweep on third down, dangerous, dangerous, <laughs> because you don't know as a defender – you don't know if you're a linebacker. You don't know if you're a safety in the flat, if he's going to throw or run and what to do. 
And I don't know if it's a run pass option. It doesn't look that way. It looks like it's designed for him to keep it, but you don't know that when he starts heading for the perimeter. And that's why I mean, moving the pocket is so dangerous of a thing. And I just think that was, that's a good call. 10 design runs is two more than I thought that it was. But I think that when you see uh, what they found out and the, you know, the research they did maybe during the mini buy, it shows you how willing and how flexible they are to get the most out of the quarterback's talents. Okay. My bright side was a, another touchdown. We talked about this a little bit, the Khalil Herbert side screen. How many times does Justin Fields have to miss that pass before he learns to change his arm angle? Yeah. Well, we found out whatever the answer was before that, because he changed his arm angle and he was a shortstop getting the force out at second base with a sidearm toss to his infielder. In this case, the running back, Khalil Herbert, who did the rest by getting into the open field, watching Braxton Jones annihilate or push over a defensive back who didn't have a chance. And Justin Fields was a Justin Fields sandwich between <laughs> two uh, pass rushers could have been roughing the passer there, but he adjusted, he adapted. And you know what? He reacted. He wasn't thinking. This is what he was thinking. I got to get the ball there somehow. I'm going to do it after I do. I'm a good athlete. He went full Patrick Mahomes on us. And it was a great thing to see. So that was my, uh-oh. No, that I'm was sorry, that, that was right on the bright side. Yeah, better not but I love that. I love that one too, David. Because look, like poor Justin Fields, he doesn't get to see his touchdown passes. He gets hit in that sandwich there, and he's laying face down on the turf, and he doesn't even see Khalil Herbert score. And he was asked after the game by Patrick Finley whether uh, Dietrich Wise and Matthew Judon were kind of checking on his physical well-being while he was down on the ground. He's like, man, that's not what happened. Those guys were yelling at me for trying to lobby the ref for roughing the passer. <laughs> and so uh, you you see it from above this conversation, and it's like. No, no, it wasn't what you thought it was. Those guys were were getting on me for trying to buy an extra 15 yards. He didn't need the 15 yards. He got the six points, and obviously that was a big moment in the game. All right, what's the uh-oh moment? Ball security, right? For the second straight week, we've got a interception on a ball that was deflected into the air at the line of scrimmage. Worse than that, Justin was credited for four fumbles. The Bears were lucky that the Patriots didn't recover a single one of them. One of those was was charged to Justin, but should have been charged to David Montgomery on that pitch to the left that David Montgomery didn't handle. But there are just a few too many moments where, where that ball security is lax. I know the whole city of Chicago was up in arms on that one play early in the game where Fields held the ball for about seven seconds longer than he should have, scrambling back behind the line of scrimmage, gets sacked for a big loss, fumbles the ball out of bounds. David, there's another one later in the game where he's rolling out of the pocket and he's pressured a little bit, but he ends up forcing the fumble himself with his own knee hitting the ball and jarring it loose. These are things that got to get cleaned up because if you're going to be a consistent quarterback in this league, you can't put the ball in harm's way that many times in a game, certainly an uh-oh moment, and certainly an uh-oh moment that you have to accentuate before you go to Dallas and see Micah Parsons and Dan Quinn and all the things that that defense is going to do to you on Sunday afternoon. Without a doubt. I mean, because now you're starting to wonder, okay, there was a time last night after the interception, he threw it and he got tipped at the line of scrimmage. And then I went back and forth with somebody on Twitter. They said, well, it was bad luck because Eli and, Ma- and Peyton said it was bad luck. <laughs> no, it was a bad throw. You, yeah. you can hold Justin Fields accountable for making a bad throw. It was the second week in a row that he had an interception that where, you know, he hit the guy in the commander's uh, uniform in the helmet. Right. Last night he got tipped. You have to protect the football. You have to be a little bit more accurate. That was my uh-oh moment, but he overcame that. Um, but you're right. Against Dallas, different story. No doubt. All right, big number. What was your big number? Real easy for this one. Five consecutive possessions on which the Bears scored points. Right? This is the Chicago Bears that we've been covering forever who can't score points on a consistent basis. Five consecutive drives that ended in points and Cairo Santos kickoffs. That's an amazing thing, David. They got to keep that going in the right direction. It's really cool, again, when you can go into a postgame locker room and have a number of different scoring drives that you can reference and talk to guys about because now all of a sudden the conversations are a little bit more enthusiastic than they typically are. Mine's a little related and it's more than just Justin Fields, but he's, he's where it all starts. It was 37 and I alluded to this 37 minutes when you possess the football and you're talking about big picture and how your quarterback, this guy you want to develop into your franchise player, how he fits into this. It doesn't have to be the way you conventionally think of franchise quarterbacks. He's not Joe Burrow. He's not Justin Herbert. Okay. Let him be who he is and who he is, is the guy that allows you to possess the ball 
and move the chains and play good defense and be the team that may lead the NFL in rushing. He's part of that. When you possess the ball for 37 minutes, you understand complementary football. It's more than just a concept. It's reality. And when you have a team like the Patriots, no matter who was playing quarterback off the field for that long, they get on it. They start to force the issue. They start to make you know mistakes. And I think that when you have the ball for 37 minutes, good things are going to happen. And they did. Good things did happen. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's flip the score. Or let's not flip the score. They're not going to lose 33 to 14, but for the sake of the exercise, Dan, I think it is interesting. Had they lost this game, even if it wasn't as lopsided, because if it were as lopsided as many people expected, we'd be picking them apart for days and be dreading the next few weeks. But... um, Concerns that still exist despite the rousing victory that rocks Chicago. Yeah, I mean, we'd be talking about that blown coverage that resulted in the Jacoby Myers touchdown, right? And and that gave the Patriots life when they made the quarterback switch and Bailey Zappi gave that that entire building a jolt of energy. We'd be talking about how the Bears weren't ready for that and how they got hit with with 14 points in a matter of three and a half minutes, right? And all of a sudden went from up 10 nothing to down 14-10. And so those are danger zones for a young team that you got to try to avoid as much as you can. Obviously, the Bears responded Monday night. Uh, th- those are some things we'd be talking about. And then I think, again, we'd be talking about Justin's, uh, not only his ball security, but uh, a few of the throws he missed. And, and we can get into more of those later in the week. I'll be interested to hear from Luke Getze and Justin later in the week. There's one in particular to me. It's a deep shot to Darnell Mooney that it, it, it's characteristic to me of, of some of the things that Justin hasn't done enough of early in the season. And it's, it's he, he just, yeah, he, he threw it too far, right? And th- there's a point where you've got your best receiver in a one-on-one matchup. There has to to be a playmate on the ball right you have to give him an opportunity to make a play on it it can't just be run deep and i'm going to throw it and it's going to be two yards out of bounds and sorry i made you make that sprint so that's something that, that i'd like to see him get a little bit better at especially in coverages that allow you to trust your best players ball, your best playmakers ball skills Total aside before we get to my point, did Cole Komet ever explain why he was in such a hurry to get yeah. to the line of scrimmage after his catch? Because there was no hurry. He was in bounds. Well, actually, thank you for bringing that up because I, when we were talking in the first segment, I had starred this on my sheet here because this is all about details, right? And this is all about what we're talking about with Matt Eberflus coach teams. They have been drilling at home on guys where if you're not sure – Make sure you rush the ball back to the official, get lined up and go. Cole didn't know. I mean, he's, he's moving pretty quick down the sideline. He was clearly in bounds where he caught it, but he wasn't sure. And so instinct kicked in and trained instinct kicked in better than anything. Stuff they've worked on and conditioned and trained. So that's, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's coaching, right? That, that's what we're yes. talking about at the outset yes. where, where you work on these things. And Matt Nagy te- teams were always so sloppy with details like this, right? They would have gotten up to the line of scrimmage and then somehow false started, right? And, and backed themselves up and, and, and screwed themselves over and so really astute play even though it was unnecessary the Bears snapped it really quick I think they got about about a five or six yard game from David Montgomery and 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 there it was the third point convert or the third down conversion stood and your tight end made a really smart play and and then the rest of the the other 10 guys got up there to help him make a smart play yeah and I think there was a Patriot defensive lineman that was standing straight up when they snapped the ball so they were not ready for that play and it was really well a well coached execution of something they clearly had talked about in practice. Okay, back to the script. So I do think that in this flip the score exercise is interesting because had the Bears lost, gives us an opportunity to point out that Ryan Poles did talk before the game in the press box at Gillette Stadium. And I do believe had the Bears lost, this would have been a bigger story. 
what he said and how he said it. And even though it was only 10 to 12 minutes, we know how the news cycle works, Dan. And, and we know that Ryan Poles, when the general manager makes himself available, number one, that's almost a news story in itself in Chicago yeah. during the season. But I think that he uh, said some things that we, we should he- listen to them because it, the way I termed it was like he – almost foreshadowed what was going to happen based on how confident he sounded in everything that he spoke about, whether it was Justin Fields, Matt Eberflus, or just the overall operation. Listen to these three cuts back to back to back to hear if you hear what I said, what I did. So Justin's been a big topic um, in his development and, you know, we're encouraged with the progress that's there. I know there's, you know, it's not on the statistics and on the paper all the time, but he is getting better in a lot of different areas. I think as a whole, we got to continue to play better around him as well um, to allow him to keep playing well and get his confidence going and be, you know, execute at a high level. So I'll let you guys ask. Ryan, ideally, you'll have 11 more starts, including tonight, from Justin. Mm-hmm. What specifically will you be zeroing in on from your perch to see where his growth is coming the rest of the season? Yeah, I think a few different things. Just how he's being used. Um, so are we putting him in a position where he, he can be successful? Um, and then the execution and the details of what he's being asked to do and really speeding up to the game and making decisions you know, quicker. Um, but again, the beautiful thing about football, it's relying on everybody else. So as a whole, we have to improve. And I think we'll see that, you know, everyone starts to get better and then we'll start to ascend. You mentioned how people need to play better around him. Does that make you want to be active at the trade deadline, potentially acquiring another receiver to help that group be better th- around him? I think regardless, um, we're always going to be active in the terms of if it's making phone calls or picking up the, the phone and just seeing if that is something that can improve our team. And it makes sense for us, not only for now, because I've always talked about this, it's, it's like, sustaining success for a long period of time it's not the short fix all the time so just blending that together is is tough because it takes a lot of details or not discipline um to do so that's where we're balancing okay so that was ryan poles in the press box before his team won 33 to 14 before they did what obviously every general manager wants to see his team do what was your biggest takeaway from your time with ryan poles and were you surprised how accessible he was or how confident he was or just in general, anything stand out. Look, you've covered other sports in this city and you understand what it can be like when a general manager lends his voice to a season one way or the other, right? You've got messaging to do from that role. Uh, and, and, and so I was very curious when, when that was scheduled on Monday, what, what, what did Ryan polls want to tell us, right? What, 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 what is in it for him, right? Cause there's obviously going to be something in it for him to do that. And I just thought you heard a, a, a guy who is, uh, confident that this team can can climb right and can can use the coaching that he brought in to 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 make that climb. I think he is confident that by season's end, there's going to be a very thorough evaluation done of what this roster is, in particular the quarterback. And I think in that that bite you just played, David, the two things that stood out about Justin Fields, as far as the the general managers is looking at, he used the phrase how he's being used. Right. And so I think the general manager is, is being uh, proactive in, in meeting with the coaching staff to say, hey, let's make sure that we're accentuating things that, that, that bring out his best more often. We saw that Monday night. Good deal coming off of anybody to have that. And then he said uh, for Justin that he's got to speed up to the game, right? He's got to make quicker decisions. And that was a very candid criticism of QB1 that I think it was good to hear because it tells you, okay, things that we're seeing with our eyes are confirmed by the guy who is the most important guy who's doing the evaluation to Justin Fields, right? And so they want to see that continue to come along and come along and come along. But as he said, look, there's no he has no uh, reason to, to set himself a hard and fast deadline on when to make a, a long-term final, final verdict on who Justin Fields is as, as the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. It's going to take it one game at a time, and, and ultimately the evidence will add up to a point where it will hopefully point in a direction that's clear to everyone. That was refreshing to hear. You don't want somebody acting emotionally in that job. You want somebody who's going to be, you know, taking his time and having some perspective. And you want him to have, you know, a, an even keel and, and uh, that kind of temperament. All right, Dan, real quickly, did he sound like somebody more or less likely to make a trade by next Tuesday's deadline? Uh, neither. <laughs> I just don't think the Bears are there, right? Like, I just don't think that the market's going to match up 
with their needs and what's in their wallet. Either way, buy or sell, right? And so I think it's just going to be a, a fun conversation to have for six days. But it's just hard to see any scenario that comes around where where there's something so attractive that they want to go pay for it with draft capital, or that teams are coming banging down their door for one of their key playmakers and willing to give the Bears what it would take to to sacrifice that at a point where, as you see, wins like Monday are important in the building of a team, and so you don't want to sacrifice those uh, for a, a uh, you know, a little bit of a draft capital uptick if if you've got guys in your building that you think can be a, a part of setting a long-term foundation to what Ryan told you, sustaining success. He keeps saying that. That's his main mission here in this job, sustaining success. It's not experiencing one good year. It's sustaining success. And we're going to hold him to that as we go. And I'm glad he's holding himself to that. All right, let's wrap things up with our two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. Okay, Dan, a couple quick questions. What will the offensive line look like the next time the Bears uh, get back on the practice field? Yeah, look, I think you talked about Sam Mustafer taking things into his own hands on Monday night. I think he's going to be needed, right? It sure seems like in the outset, uh, the word on Lucas Patrick is not very promising. It would not be a shock if he was on injured reserve by the time that flight left for Dallas on Saturday. Uh, the Bears aren't feeling very optimistic about that. And so you have yet, yet another injury to a guy who was uh, injured through most of training camp, another injury to an offensive line that suffered far too many of them early here on and in the year. And so let's see where it goes. I will tell you this, David, I, I don't know how you felt, but Michael Schofield was unnoticed on Monday night. And that's a good thing. <laughs> that's like a, that's like a good umpire. You don't want to know his name. You don't yep. want him to have anything to do or have hear his name during the broadcast. I'd agree with you. He did fill in under difficult circumstances in a hostile environment and good for him. Okay. What about Byron Pringle? We saw in Keel Harry come in, made a contribution and also had a good time dancing in the post game locker room video that we saw circulated on social media. Everyone's having fun when you win like that. Will Byron Pringle join the party this weekend in Dallas. He can come off the injured list from what I understand. Yeah, not sure, right? Like that's going to be one to keep an eye on as the week goes along. My my gut right now on Tuesday, October twenty fifth, would be not yet, um, but but certainly you you would hope to start to get that receiving core a little bit more whole. And if you get a little bit more whole, now what can you do with it? Obviously, Nikhil Harry only one one reception on Monday night and got a rousing boo from the uh, Patriots fan base, uh, not letting them know where. Uh, actually, my son said, "Man, the people uh, up in the stands were really mean to Nikhil Harry and saying that that guy's <laughs> not worth what uh, what what you think he is." So, and, you know, we've gotten through this uh, part uh, this far into the pod and we are talking about a team that is number one in the NFL in rushing. We're talking about a team that, according to our buddy Mark Potash at the Sun-Times, uh, is uh, on pace to lead the league in rushing for the first time since 1986 was the last time that happened. We haven't mentioned the, the running backs. They both had 62 yards. David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert overlooked, underappreciated. What'd you think of their efforts? A couple of runs by Montgomery on Monday night where you're like, oh, play's dead. And then, you know, three seconds later, he's squirting out six yards in front of where you thought he was. And you're like, man, that dude's contact balance and ability to, to continue to churn those legs in traffic is really pretty cool. And he had a few of those. I was glad to see the Bears rewarded him uh, for one of those efforts. He didn't quite get it into the end zone and they finished that drive by making sure he got in the end zone. And I think that was a, a pretty cool reward in that moment for Dave Montgomery. I was really surprised none of us gave a game ball to Dante Pettis. Boy, he had as many punt return yards in one uh, return than they have all season long. And you know what? He did have a shaky moment. Yeah. Cured the football. He looked a little bit more comfortable. And thank goodness it wasn't Bayless Jones back there. That's progress. No doubt. And I think that's where we were leaning with that. And and so, yeah, obviously, Bayless goes to the background as we expected he would. And the very last question I have for you, and I'm dying to know, what is your review of legal seafood? Oh, yeah, great. We had a really nice dinner there on Sunday night. My brother, my, my son and I, uh, uh, my son wasn't too keen on the clam chowder. I love it. Great stuff. I love clam chowder. Uh, I had a, a seafood platter with uh, crab cakes, shrimp, and scallops. Absolutely delicious. Really, uh, really good family meal there. So thanks for asking about that. It was, uh, yeah, good place. Good place to go. Uh, we only get out to New England once every eight years because of the AFC NFC uh, uh, calendar. So you know, by the next time we're out there, my son will probably be in college, and then we'll see where where things <laughs> oh, are wow. going from there, right? <laughs> or at least late in high school. Uh, one other thing I, I, I just want to bring up on on the, the buzzword from 
from week seven was finish, right? Like you heard it from Matt Eberflus. You heard it from players. You heard it again Monday night from Ryan Poles. And so it was obviously something that was talked about very specifically inside the building. And at the end of our conversation with Ryan Poles on Monday night, I said, look, like how does a team that's built like this in this stage learn how to finish? And he was very quick with his response. He says, real simple. It's detail in your work. It's doing the techniques that we work on in practice every single day in a way that they become second nature on game night. And so it was really cool that he had a ready-made answer for that because they were clearly hammering the topic of finishing last week. They finished very well on Monday night. And you can hear the tone of this podcast is a little different when the Bears finish. David, I got about a dozen uh, Twitter messages on Monday night going, oh, nice to see you're finally being positive. And my response is like, do you, do you understand what triggers the positivity? Like the successful results trigger the positivity. I still can't figure out how some people can't compute this. But yes, the review of a 33 to 14 win is typically going to be more positive than a 20 to 12 touchdownless loss. That's funny. I had a couple that said to me, you know, Dan's going to be happy at the next pod. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. They pummeled the Patriots and now they've got to, uh, I always say that the, the funny thing about raising expectations, you have to meet them. Now yep. they raise a standard and it's good to see. And it's positive to talk about. And we all have a lot more fun when the bears are winning and now they have set a standard and it's going to be difficult to reach again, but boy, it's so much fun to change the subject in town and, and not to have to manufacture progress out of something that Justin Fields did or didn't do, and not to have to break down the replay of, the, of, of a missed pass like it's the Zabruder film, and, uh, and you're, you're like, oh, there is where – no, okay, he played well. Everyone can agree with that, and uh, I think the Bears look like a team on the rise, and we can end it there because this is going to be a lot of fun. This week, Dan Wiederer from the Chicago Tribune will be back out at Hallis Hall all week. Uh, David Haw at David Haw on Twitter. You can find me and hear me on Mullen Haw every morning, 530 to 10 on 670. The score, Adam Studzinski is our producer. We thank you for listening to Take the North. Take the North pod. You can be find, You can find it on your Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for downloading, listening, and subscribing. We will be back Friday morning looking ahead to the Bears and Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? That's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to studs predicting the Bears getting to four and four and us talking about how they will then have six of their final nine at home. Look at what's happened in just this short amount of time. It's That's going to be something to look forward to. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Take the North podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Great talk. See you out there.